Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. Uh, I am speaking kind of softly because I messed up some technical aspects of the podcast. So I'm re-recording a couple things this morning while my daughter is still sleeping upstairs. So don't adjust your volume too much. I'll be my usual loud self here in just a moment. Today, we've got Sean Pendergast and then we've got Michael Lombardi. Michael starts at about the 31.30 mark. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you could subscribe on iTunes or Radio.com or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast, that'd be awesome. Leave a review. That'd be great, too. If you need to get in touch with me, Seth at DeceptivelyFast.com. That way it'll go right to me. I won't think that it's junk mail. Uh, the only... The only correspondence I get on that count is pretty much from people who listen to the podcast. So uh, everybody enjoy this weekend. It's going to be a good one, and we'll talk to you next week. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast Podcast. Sean, it is here. Uh, what some might argue is the greatest week in I would say the greatest day or the greatest weekend in sports, uh, the conference championship weekend. Are you are you amped up? Are you pumped? Have you been able to sleep? I've <laughs> I've I've been okay. I've been able to get sleep. See, my my issue is we were saying that on our show about last weekend, and last weekend wound up sucking. Oh, you know it was terrible. That's true. I guess I should be angry at the sports guard, yeah. sports gods, and feel jilted. Here's the worst part about last weekend, Seth. Is I. I took the Colts and the Cowboys, who, if you live in Houston, are two of the, what, three or four most hated teams. Yep. And so you... You're going out on a limb when you do that. You, you You're follow saying, this the, is what I feel. It's you, not going to be popular, but right, this is what I feel. Right. And you put your money behind it. You put your hard-earned dollar behind it. And not only do you do you lose when you pick them in those games, but the games are basically over by the middle of the second quarter. They were no fun to watch, and by about the fourth quarter, you're going, I can't believe I spent an entire Saturday rooting for the Colts and the Cowboys. I needed a shower afterwards. I needed, <laughs> I needed bleach. That's what was so disappointing about it was sometimes there will be a game where it's still not much of a contest, but you feel like the other team has a chance. But even, even in – any of those games, the Saints game, you know, you could argue, well, the Saints didn't, you know, they only scored 20 points. Yeah, but they had an 18-play drive in the third quarter, 22 actual total plays when you consider the penalties that were called back, and they just completely dominated. And, and so even in the closer scoring game, there was really never any chance, even though, even though the Eagles had a chance technically at the end. Yeah, no, what you're saying is totally true. Like, it, it sounds weird to say about a game where a team fell behind 14-0 in the first six minutes, but at no point in that game, even when the Saints were down 14-0, did I feel like the Saints were going to lose that game. Right. They turned the ball over a couple of times. Um, the Eagles took advantage of it. 
the Eagles on their first two drives that resulted in touchdowns, I don't know if you saw these numbers, they had 17 plays for 151 yards. They were moving the ball. Mm-hmm. Like Nick Foles was doing his postseason Nick Foles things. Every drive after that combined, 30 plays for 99 yards. So um, it was, yeah, n- at no point in any of those four games after about the seven or eight minute mark of the first quarter did I feel like the underdog was going to win the game. And then the Kansas City game, I'll tell you my two main impressions um, of the weekend at large and then of the Kansas City game. My biggest impression of the weekend at large was that, wow, these are some good offensive lines. Yeah. Like I – because when I watch football, usually what I try to do is think, okay – what, if I were a defensive lineman going against this offensive line, like how much of a challenge is it? Like not just in terms of physicality, but how crisp is this offensive line? You, you know, are they picking up blitz as well? Are they doing all these things? And I thought that there were just more than just the four winning teams. There was some really good offensive line play out there. So that was nice to see in terms of hey, building a team. Wow fundamentals still matter and if you can get yourself a good offensive line it helps helps look Jared Goff's play as the season has gone on you could attribute at least part of him not being as good as the offensive line hasn't been as good even though I still think they played very well in that last game um but then when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs game just how speed still kills yeah and that the Colts have I think what is still generally a pretty solid defense yeah but when you can't match up to all that speed all over the field, there's just not a lot you can do. There's no scheme that's going to rescue that and that yeah. rescue you there. Yeah, Tyreek Hill is freaky. Um, I was to your point about the offensive lines. You know, on our show, Clint Sterner does Stern Talk every week, where we give him a handful of plays, and he does a really great breakdown of them, X's and O's. And in going and finding plays, so he did one. He usually does them for the Texans, but Texans aren't playing anymore, so he did one for the divisional round games. And just watching some of those plays and the way that they're blocked, you know, I'll go, I'll probably watch about ten play for every one play we wind up giving to Clint. I'll end up watching like eight plays, right. and you pick out the best ones. Um, and just watching how how sound those offensive lines are in their assignments, the the Tyreek Hill end around that he scored the touchdown on, you're watching that, and there's a tight end and an offensive lineman. 15 yards downfield waiting to pick up safeties and DBs like escort basically escorting Tyreek yeah. Hill into the end zone it's just it's it's amazing to watch especially when we spent the entire year watching the the Texans offensive line it's like watching a different sport it, it is it is it's it's almost like watch it's the difference between watching an amateur sport versus a professional sport. It really is. The way some of the teams are able to do it with such crispness and precision and then I think too the one thing I noticed was just the ability of good offensive lines to treat stunting defensive linemen and blitzes as opportunities mm-hmm. instead of something to which, like, you need to batten down the hatches. Yeah. Like, oh, no, there's movement here. I'll take you where you want to go. That yeah. creates a seam for me. Yeah. Yeah. It was that a lot of that. I think the, the other theme, and this was more of a theme coming into the weekend, but I think it was hammered home by the four teams that wound up winning those games, is the uh, – I know your co-host Mike Meltzer likes to talk about build through the defense guy. Yeah, uh, you know the uh, the 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 uh, uh, kind of the the Twitter straw man out there that likes to talk the about the defense wins championships. The defense wins championships. You know the uh, the cliche spewing talking heads that like to use things mantras from 25 years ago. Actually, not even that long ago, but at least the cycle that we're in now in the NFL, Seth, is it is a I don't know if the, I don't know if build through the defense guy is dead. Or if he's on life support, but the top five offenses 
in football, according to Football Outsiders, DVOA, were all still playing as of last weekend. The top seven defenses were all done as of last weekend, and four of those five offenses are still playing. Yeah. One, two, four, and five. The Chargers were the only team that lost. So four of the top five offenses, the top four scoring offenses are all playing. It really makes me think about when I think of the Texans and think about team building and how they're putting their roster together and things like that. It really does make me think. I've always been one that thinks they need to bring back Clowney. Clowney does things that are very unique that would be really tough to replace. And now I'm like, well, I at least hope they listen to some phone calls about Clowney if they slap the franchise tag on him just because these the, the message is pretty clear right now in today's NFL. You need you, – you can get by with an average defense as long as it's opportunistic, as long as it gets off the field on third down, and as long as it turns teams over and gets sacks. If you get, if you get the occasional splash play on defense, that's good enough if you have an elite offense. But if you don't have an elite offense, you ain't allowed at the party, man. The one thing that I'm always – conscious of in football though too in the nfl is that things ebb and flow and the pendulum swings and as our teams start to focus on offense that creates an opportunity or a window for some team to come along and crush teams with defense because they have more talent on defense you know defensive players become cheaper so somebody stockpiles a bunch of defensive players like when i first got into radio in 2012 the talk at that point was well Home field advantage doesn't seem to be all that important anymore. Like you've got teams like going winning on the road, winning the wild. We're now over the past five seasons, every single conference championship is won by the home team. Yeah, that it does seem to matter a whole lot more. Yep. So you always, it's still small sample sizes. Um. Yep. So this year, yeah, offense definitely matters. But I think it's probably pretty consistent that. It's harder to sustain a good defense than it is to sustain a good offense. You feel if you if you get a good quarterback, yeah. you can sustain good offense over the course of multiple seasons. Where sustaining a top defense, it's really, really hard to do. And uh, it's fewer and further in between. Whether it's you, you might look at any one given mini generation. It's the Seahawks, Seahawks for a while. It's the Ravens for a while. Yeah. It's the Steelers for a while. Yeah, the, well, the offense has a guy who has the ball in his hands the whole game. Yeah. You know, you're nat- naturally can control the game. So we get into this weekend where we only have two games to break down. Yeah. Let's, uh, who do you want to start with? I guess we'll start with the earlier game, which yeah. is the NFC. We'll go chronologically. So we'll go with the, uh, the Saints versus the Rams. Yeah. So, um, so these two teams played back in week nine. And I think what's interesting about both these games is they're both rematches of regular season games in which the winner knocked the loser from the ranks of the undefeated. Kansas City was 5-0. and They were the talk of the league going into that Patriots game. Patriots beat them at home. In week nine, the Rams were the talk of the league. They were 8-0. They go into New Orleans. The Rams actually went into New Orleans, crazy as it sounds now, as a favorite in that game. New Orleans was an underdog at yep. home to the Rams in that game earlier this year, a two- or three-point underdog at home. That's obviously flipped now to where the Saints are a three-point favorite in this game. Um, and this game, both of these games, well, this game in particular – Ended up deciding home field advantage throughout the postseason, so that that was it. Wound up being a big win for New Orleans because they were able to take Week 17 off and still keep home field. Um, so I, I, I really I like New Orleans in this game. Um, the uh, the Saints they're nine and zero straight up in their last nine home games against teams with winning records. Sean Payton's undefeated at home uh, in the playoffs as the the head coach for the Saints. I do like the under in this game. I think both these teams run the football pretty well, kind of two-headed monster mm-hmm. running games. And I think as much as when I think the the 30,000-foot thought of these teams is, well, you got Drew Brees, so he's throwing the ball all over the place, and Sean McVay has the high-flying offense. He likes to throw it all over the place. I, I think I think both these teams are going to try to control the game and control the clock, keep the other team's offense off the field. 
try to keep the you know the other team's offense uncomfortable by having to watch them run the football. And I think at the end of the day, the Saints are just going to be able to do that better than the Rams are going to be able to do it because of the Rams. The Rams' defense is not very good yeah. against the run. They were able to shut down the Cowboys' running game last week, and I was really surprised by that. Um, but I, I, think I wonder. That, I wonder how much of that had to do with the Cowboys being. For one, not necessarily trusting their quarterback um, because they they ran the ball and they stuck with the run even in situations where it seemed like it was ripe to to pass. Yeah. Um. And so so they the Rams were able to capitalize on some of that predictability. But I also think that there's something going on with Wade Phillips where late in his late in his I'll say career. I almost said life, but that feels weird. I hope he lives another 40 years. I love Wade Phillips. Um, but late in his career, he's become a more versatile playoffs coach. Yeah. Where I can remember when they won the Super Bowl with the Broncos, yep. Ted Johnson was making some very good points about how Wade doesn't necessarily vary what he does very much. Right. In the postseason that year, he mixed it up a lot, especially versus the Patriots. He did. Um, and he went against his type. So I wonder if Wade Phillips, maybe the maybe the Wade Phillips playoff defense is a thing now. Yeah. And that the Rams will be a better defense. They do have in this matchup, they have a keep to leave, which they did not have in the first matchup versus the Saints. And that was when Michael Thomas just went off versus right. Marcus 12 Peters. Catches, yeah, yeah, Marcus Peters is not going to be matched up on uh, Michael Thomas as much as the Rams can help it. Yeah, this yeah. Yeah. I I um I agree with what you're saying. I uh I also just I don't have a huge trust of Jared Goff in this situation either. Of the four quarterbacks that are left, I um I, Goff is still a guy who scares me a little bit in a situation like this. He's a different quarterback on the road than he is at home. I think those things are real sometimes with quarterbacks, that guys are just more comfortable um, in their environment at home than they are. And that crowd's going to be off the hook, I think, um, in New Orleans. Um, so I I like the Saints in this game. I like the Saints in this game because of the run game. I do. I like the under better than I do the side. Um, the under's 57. The under the totals on both of these games are really high. The under's fifty seven and the over under in the uh Patriots Chiefs game is fifty five and a half. Did the over under change with the weather forecast in the Kansas City game? Because it, it's gonna bit. be warmer than everybody thought it, when it went Larry, back up a little bit. When Larry yeah. King was advocating right. losing the game. Right. <laughs> Was he really? <laughs> yeah, he was. Larry King, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but Larry King, uh, a member of the greatest generation, I believe. He's yeah. actually maybe a little bit younger. He's somewhere between like the greatest generation and the baby boomers because mm -hmm. I think he's about 90. So he would have been – he might have been a teenager during World War II. I don't know. But he – here, I've, I've actually got it here. We'll say exactly. You're, you're not going to believe this. Larry King, an older person advocating <laughs> for softness, this is what he said. Ah, uh, boy. Larry King, I'm told it's supposed to be five degrees and snowing on Sunday in Kansas City. Why can't they postpone the game? Fans <laughs> will still come out, and people will still watch on TV if they play it a few days later. It makes no sense to play in intolerable conditions, unquote. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm an old man. I was confused. <laughs> so uh, did the over-under change at all? Based it on did. That? It went okay. down. Well, when the, when the weather forecast was for you know single digit temperatures it went down to 54 and a half it's back up to 55 and a half now so it's yeah it's fluctuating i guess directly with the temperatures in the game which makes sense since uh since the dawn of the playoffs i think there have been 11 games that have been played in single digit temperatures yeah. and no team has scored more than 30 points individual team has scored more than 30 points in any of those games apparently i heard a stat somewhere that it's still going to be really cold, by the way. When it's cold out, it tends to move the over-under down so that the over is a better bet because people 
overestimate how much effect the cold's going to have on the on the passing game, but I don't know. Maybe I mean, it's, I'm it's, a it's, it it's, it's, stuff. it's a really high total already. Yeah. I mean, it's rare that you see games. These are totals that you normally see in a Super Bowl involving two good offensive teams, 57 this and 55 is, uh, and a half. Patriots. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or like Atlanta and the Patriots a few years ago, I think it was 58 or something like that, and they needed overtime just to get to the over. Um, I I just I, I think I think the Patriots strategy is going to be similar, and, and I know I'm I'm jumping ahead, so. Saints minus. Oh, that's three. all right. I forgot we we're still on the Saints. Saints minus. There's three. only two games. To There's talk only two. About. Yeah, Saints, Saints. Go off on a tangent. You're not right. going to go too far. Right, right, right. Saints minus three over Rams. Saints under 57. As long as we're transitioning to the other game, I, I think strategy-wise for the Patriots, it's probably going to look pretty similar to what they were doing against uh, the Chargers. You know, the strength of that Chargers defense is their pass rush with Boza and Ingram. So they used a lot of draws. They used James White as basically a a running back that uh, they, they use short passes as handoffs pretty much. He had 15 catches for 97 yards. I think it's going to be a pretty similar formula against Kansas City. That's their strength too with Justin Houston and D Ford and Chris Jones rushing up the middle. They're going to do things that are going to allow Tom Brady to get the ball out quickly and and don't allow that pass rush to get to him. In some ways that, that Texans – I heard you guys talking about that Texans-Patriots playoff game from a couple of years ago when Brock was on the team – I think the Texans in that game gave people a lot of uh, – I know it's two years ago, but I feel like they gave the league a lot of uh, a lot of answers to the test in terms of rattling Brady, using Whitney Merciless and Jadeveon Clowney over the interior line. Crowding the line yeah. and then dropping somebody off. A yeah. Lot of the, it's, it's become more and more common. It's funny because it has a lot of the elements of when the zone blitz first took over in the 90s and it freaked everybody out. Yeah. Um, and then quarterbacks got really good at, at handling that. And now all of a sudden it's it's – Come back into vogue in some respect. Yeah, um, I just don't know if the I don't know if the Patriots have that speed on the back end. Even though they've got that young kid that's been playing well at cornerback, they they just I, I don't know what you do about Tyreek Hill. That's I, if Tyreek Hill, if it was just Tyreek Hill, you could limit him. Yeah, but it's not just Tyreek Hill. It's no. Sammy Watkins. That's it's a, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, that's exactly what I, I said in my uh, in my write up today on the Houston Press. I said I think that I I just don't think the Patriots have enough answers on defense for yeah. these guys. And Mahomes is such a freak. Mahomes. I compared Mahomes this week, Seth, just watching that game on Saturday, and it certainly feels more acute when you're betting on the other side and you're going against a guy like that. In, in, in essence, you feel like a fan of the opposing team. The things he does with his arm talent are so demoralizing. And what I mean by that is when he's, when he's rolling to his right, and in theory when the other 99.9% of quarterbacks are rolling to their right, they are slowly – they're, as they're rolling, they're reducing the amount of the field that right. you need to cover. Yeah. The amount of field that's even in play anymore is 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 getting reduced. It's it's basically the the amount of field that's still perpendicular to their front shoulder when they throw. With Mahomes, he can roll all the way to the sideline, and the the area of the field in between the hash marks is still in play. So he's just so hard to defend. And and it's what I compared it to. Some of these third down conversions he has where he's rolling right, rolling right, rolling right, and then he throws all the way back across his body to, you know, Travis Kelsey standing by himself in yeah. the middle of the field. And then they've these guys like Kelsey and Watkins and Hill and Conley and whoever, they any running backs out of the backfield, they have such a great ability to catch the ball and then run with it afterwards that it's it's almost like it's a it's almost like a one-third down conversion like that. It feels like three-third down conversions because it's so demoralizing. And you can probably speak to that better than I can, being a former defensive player when something like that happens. But my comparison was in basketball where a, th- a, a dunk or let's uh, – I use Steph Curry as the example. Steph Curry 
on the box score, he knocks down a three, and it's three points. But we know that if you're watching a game, especially when it's at home for the Warriors, if he hits one of those threes, and it's one of those ones where he's pulling up with two guys in his face, and it's just that quick release falling into the crowd, and he hits nothing but net, it's worth more than three points because usually they end up going on like an 11-2 run yeah. or a 13-3 run after that because the crowd's into the game. I feel like the Mahomes the – Mahomes Freaky plays are like that. Where they're, they're worth more than one play. And it, yeah. Playing against Favre was a little bit like that. Right. Because Favre, you could feel like you had a good game plan going and that you were crushing them. We had a game here. I, it was either on a Sunday night or a Thursday night. I think it was a Sunday night game uh, in Houston a long time ago. And we we had a good game plan going. We were working and we were beating the crap out of them. And then somebody started talking smack to him like an idiot. And I remember Gary Walker being like, you shut the hell up. You're like, <laughs> you shut your damn mouth and don't get him, like, don't light a fire under Brett Favre. And, of yeah. course, a, a fire was lit and he torched us. Um, and I, I – oh, that was actually in Jacksonville, I think. Anyway, um, I think that Pat Mahomes, like, all that that you just described – it's almost the same way it used to feel when a team was running against you. Yeah. When a team was just dominating you in the run, and it just feels demoralizing because there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, the Chiefs have that feel about them. Like there's all this speed everywhere. Yeah, it's probably like it's probably like if you're in medieval warfare and you're just like some peasant army, and all of a sudden they release the cavalry on you. And like, what do I do versus the cavalry? Right. I don't have a clue. Like I don't have horses, and there's just like all this speed everywhere. Yeah, and there's nothing you can do. You just sit there and get slaughtered. Yep, and and hope that they treat your family. Well. Yeah, exactly. Like I hope uh, when you pay taxes to the Romans, it's like uh, just please be. be, f- be kind. We grant Patrick Mahomes yeah. land and titles. <laughs> um, so I yeah, I just I'm with you on that. I don't think the Patriots have the answers for that. The Patriots, you know, I I know it feels like kind of a square handicap just to go. They're a bad road team this year, and the Chiefs are really good at home. And this game is on the road, therefore the Patriots are going to lose. But it's not just that they're not a good road team. They're 3-5 and five on the road this year, and they the five teams they lost to aren't even playoff teams. Yeah. I, I just have a hard time reconciling that. I know this is a different situation. I know Brady as an underdog is a really mitigating factor for me in terms of picking the Chiefs um, because he's been great as an underdog. He's 6-1 and one straight up and against the spread the last seven times. He's been an underdog, which I would imagine probably spans like six seasons because I can't imagine him being an underdog more than once or twice in a given year. But he's been really good as an underdog. He's also a red ass, too, about being an underdog. That's a good point. You know, like he's he, – I, I, you know, was, he's talking about all week like about, yeah, I know we suck and we can't win any games. Like, well, no one's saying you suck. But that's how you to, internalize uh, it. There used to be stories or there was a story about the year the Patriots played the Broncos in the playoffs in that – of all people, you would think Tom Brady wouldn't feel threatened or that they need to prove something against Tim Tebow. Yeah. But they said that there was a little something there. Yeah. Like that there was almost like a there was a there was a look in Tom Brady's eye, and this came from guys on the team. Yeah. They're like, all right, this week now we're gonna shut everybody up about and he all this him. stuff. Yeah, and they just absolutely he destroyed Tebow. him. There's and there's always that, like that extra little motivator. The same thing as the Patriots the year after Spygate. Yeah. They were they were at a different level of savagery. Yeah. You know, like they were out to prove the world. So they always use that as a motivational ploy or tactic that, ah, nobody respects us. They know we're going to prove it. But when when it feels real, like you don't get the sense that they actually are – you know, artificially using this. You can tell it bothers them a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no can question. Tell it and, and you always wonder about that. Yep, and they beat them earlier this year. It was in New England. So, they, you know, they, look, they, the, the Patriots, 
They, I think there's plenty of weaponry offensively for the Patriots. They found something with Sony Michelle and James White. They've got a good balance in that backfield between running and passing the football. Gronk being on the field, I guess, is a positive. He's still like he's so clearly not what he yeah. normally was. Which scares me because I feel like go ahead and ignore Gronk at your own peril. That's kind of my point. Like yeah. he's out there, and you know he's going to make a play. Even in that game last week against the Chargers, he disappeared for most of the game. And then, you know, they hit him down the seam on a play, and he runs over, like, four he, guys. He drew a penalty, too. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that's – I mean, it's still only two – You let's call that two receptions because he advanced. But, uh, but Julian but Edelman was really good last week. Yeah. I mean, they, there's still weapons on that Patriots side of things. I just think at the end of the day, um, I, I just I, – I like the Chiefs in the home field. I have to – I have to go by my theory where I look at the pictures of the two head coaches and really swallow oh, hard before taking the Chiefs, yeah. but I'm still going to take the Chiefs. Yeah, I'm taking game. the Chiefs, and I would take the uh, the Saints as well, which Wh- you have. Yes. Which Super Bowl matchup are you rooting for? Of the four possible permutations, which one's the one that you would find most compelling? I am going by which team do I not want to see lose. And by that, it's not that it would hurt me if I saw these teams lose. I'm saying, like, last week I, I approached it as, all right, of these eight teams, who do I actively want to see lose? Yeah. The only ones I didn't actively want to see lose were the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Saints. Okay. So that leaves me with now uh, the Chiefs and the Saints. I don't want to see them lose. Okay. I don't care particularly if they win, but I want to see – the Patriots lose, um, and I want to see the Rams lose because I'm tired of all the Sean McVay love. That's Even a fair reason. Nothing, no, no fault of his own. Yeah. I'm just tired of all the hires. I'm tired of everything else. Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for the, I'm rooting for the Saints and the Patriots, for the Brady Breeze matchup that yeah. we've never had before. I compare it to Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan wrestling for different companies for many, many years back in the 80s. And then finally in the early 90s, Seth, they were working for the WWF at the same time, and we finally got to see the two of them wrestle each other. This is the, f- this, the same exact this thing. This is the battle for who does Daddy Bill Parcells love most. Yeah. Does, uh, which is this is, the, this is sibling rivalry. This is two guys on the Parcells tree going at it. That would be, uh, be pretty cool. It would be pretty cool. Yeah, I, I – uh, uh, yeah, Peyton and uh, Peyton and Belichick. That there's that angle as Wait, well. Wait, what did I say? Did you? You were Parcells. talking about Parcells. Yeah, yeah. You're talking yeah, about okay, yeah. They're yeah, both off right, the Parcells right, tree, yeah, right? I was uh, going to the. Got midway through that and like, wait a second. No, no, no. You, you, up no, like no. That? You got. Yeah, no. You're talking about the two head coaches, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Peyton and Belichick. Yeah, I, I, I think it's undoubtedly Tom Brady's been the best quarterback in the AFC um, since he came into the league in 2000, and I think Drew Brees has been the best quarterback in the NFC over that time. So this is one of those feel. This is one of those matchups that feels like 18 years in the making kind of thing. So I, I would. Uh, I, I would like to see that. That'd be the one I would like to see is the uh, that that matchup. One other question that we hit on our show yesterday. The odds tell us that one of these four teams is not going to make the playoffs next year. Right, because it, what for the last however many since years? 1990, 1995 was the last year in which all the the conference title game participants, the final four, if you will made the playoffs the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, at least one of the final four teams has missed the playoffs entirely, some years, two or three. Let's see. I don't see the Chiefs falling apart for any good reason. The yeah. Patriots, it would be obviously, it would have to be Tom Brady gets injured early on or something. Well, Clint um, Sterner picked the Patriots because he thought Tom Brady, if they win, would retire after. Oh, really? Yeah. I yeah. think I think Tom Brady is 100% committed to that 
playing until 45. Thing. Yeah. He's just too into it. I don't yeah. I don't know. They, I think that's the only reason you would pick the Patriots would be a Brady. Right? Like if pa- Brady's back next year, they're making the playoffs. Yeah. They, you know, they're, they they may be 9-7 and seven winning the AFC East, but they're going to win the AFC East again. Um, I think the Rams have slowed down over the course of the season, yeah. partly due to teams figuring out how to play Jared Goff. And yep. I think that Jared Goff is ultimately a somewhat limited quarterback. So if I'm going to go by the quarterback play of all four of these teams, I would say that the Rams are the team that don't make it next year. You are wise. That's yeah. what my answer was yesterday. I think Jared Goff's a bit of a Fugazi quarterback. I think the Sean McVay, I used your phrase, the dot-com bubble. I feel he, he's got a bit of a dot-com bubble feel <laughs> oh, to it. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, everybody's I was thinking all, about, the, was thinking about the, like all his coaches. Yeah. Like, are basically, it's MattLaFleur.com. you got to buy it. It's a, I, I, I get it. I get it. But, but yeah, it just, but even Sean McVay himself. Right. It's a little bit, it feels like karma the karma with this McVay situation should not be that he goes on to win four Super Bowls in the next 10 years. Your the karma in this McVay situation should be that he winds up as a failure and in drug rehab. <laughs> that should be the karma in this Because whole thing. you are buying a stock that hasn't yielded a profit. That's it. You are, which I would look, they've, they've won a playoff game, but they haven't genuinely yielded a profit. He's a bit of a dot-com, but he's like one of those more, one of those, Dot-coms that have a bit of a better found. He's like Amazon.com. Yeah, you know? like like he may up. wind up being – he may wind oh. up owning the world someday. Because earlier, early on you might be like, okay, yeah, they're really good at selling books, but what? Right. Like, which wasn't that long ago, right? Like no. Like ten years ago you're like, well, I mean, yeah, they sell books, what? Yeah, like, <laughs> now they have drones flying around bringing you whatever the hell you want. Yeah, my, my answer was the Rams too on that on that question. All right, awesome. I was going to get into the John Filippo stuff because I'm not buying Doug Marone's – uh, for those of you that don't know, and I'm guessing many don't because you're not paying attention to the Jaguars right now, the Jaguars hired John DiFilippo, the deposed Minnesota Vikings. He was a dot-com star. He was a, yeah, there you go. He was so a dot-com. The Jaguars hire him as their offensive coordinator, and immediately a lot of people think, well, wow, John DiFilippo as the coordinator of the Jaguars and Nick Foles potentially a free agent. Nick Foles obviously played for John DiFilippo yeah. when he was his quarterback coach in Philadelphia. Are the Jaguars going after him? Um, and Doug Marone vigorously shot that down. He mm-hmm. said 0-0 zero, zero at all, 0. Don't get me wrong, everyone we brought in, we tried to get information from on personnel and things of that nature, mm-hmm. uh, unquote, et cetera, et cetera. He was talking about how that's there was no connection to it at all. But let's remember – Doug Marone can't make a single comment about Nick Foles because it would be tampering. He's, He's under still contract. under contract yeah. with another team. Yep. So uh, I'm not buying that at all. I think the Jaguars are making a run at John DiFilippo. It's, or excuse me, it, they're going to make a run at Nick Foles. What's funny about this is the two teams that, that Foles is involved with in some way, the Eagles, his current employer, and the Jags, who seem to be the chalk to land Nick Foles, are both in just salary cap hell. Yeah. They're the two worst – they have the two worst cap situations of any teams in the league. So if the Eagles – and the Eagles have already said they're not – they don't plan on keeping Nick Foles, but they may want to try to franchise him and, and flip him and trade him somewhere. Which is hard with their salary cap situation. It, it, Unless they have a deal in hand almost. Yeah. Where they can do it quickly like a sign and trade. Yeah, yeah but they're they're – like I think they're forecasted right now, as currently constructed, to be like ten million over the cap. So they've got they've got all kinds of work to do just to get under the cap, let alone open up twenty three million to put a transition tag yeah. on Nick Foles. So I don't know if I see that happening. And the Jags are in almost as bad a situation cap wise. So, you can find so the money. In, yeah, I get it. People but. in Jacksonville uh, have explained it to me somewhat, where I wasn't really paying attention uh, the last time the Texans played the Jaguars. I talked to some people, but. To put it simply, they have a bunch of veteran players that they might not mind 
cutting to get that cap money back. Um, yeah. and there's some guys that they can renegotiate that it's it's more tenable than it is, I think, in the Eagles situation. The Jags? Yeah. 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 yeah I, I just I don't the people I don't understand are the ones going, well, he'll they'll uh, you know, Nick's Nick Foles they'll he'll agree to his twenty million dollar option because it's a mutual option he has right. with the Eagles. Um, they can exercise the option for twenty million. He can either agree to it or buy himself out of that contract for two million bucks. And they're like, well, they'll just exercise that option, and then they'll trade him to where he wants to go. And it's like, why would Nick Foles agree to do that? Like, why would he agree to, why would he agree to make the team he's going to weaker right. by trading an asset to the Eagles when he can just go sign there and take that all and and he can do what get the Kirk, same money and and likewise, like his best negotiating ploy if the Eagles try to play hard ass or some of the franchise is like, okay, I'll sign it immediately. That's yeah. what Kirk Cousins was doing. Like, here you go. Yeah, okay, yeah. You go. And now you've got How, a twenty-five million dollar backup. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Like no time, no time to negotiate, no time to uh, like uh, to to shift things around. Right. Just sign it because the Eagles have already shown their hand. Yeah, like they've already Doug Peter. Peterson's already flipped the cards around going, see, we're going to keep Carson Wentz, and he's our quarterback. Um, so they put a franchise tag on him. Well, everybody knows you're trying to trade him, yeah. so you're going to get 60 cents on the dollar. Like, they know you're desperate to move him. They yeah. know they know you're not going to go into next year with a $23 million backup quarterback. All right, man. It'll be a good do. weekend. I look forward. We'll do this one more time, and then uh, we both talked. We were texting the other day about the fact that Very Cavalier is coming back. I'm pretty so the, excited. Uh, the Shannon thing time, baby. The thing that started this podcast off, you and me doing reality review, we're, yes. we're going to have to hit that. I, I saw some – I saw a bunch of Jay Cutler in the promos, but I have a feeling they'll disappoint me again, and I'll only get a little bit of Jay. Yeah, well, he's yeah. I mean, he's he's the tease. He's the hook. Yeah. that brings you in, and then we're yeah. We better not be stuck with more of these these cackling the underlings. Hens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just sitting there, just completely making a mockery of uh, Cavalieri's business. So yeah, I'm excited about that. All right, buddy. See I you did. next week. Yep. So Sean and I are excited about Very Cavalry, but first and foremost, we're excited about this weekend and the Patriots game in particular. There's so many intriguing matchups here, Tyreek Hill versus the Patriots um, and the Patriots defense, which is better than I think the numbers show in a lot of respects. And one of those is that they actually do really well playing press coverage and Tyreek Hill of the Chiefs tends to do a really good job when people are in press coverage on him. And I've heard a few people wonder about this, and uh, I wonder about it myself. I think that the Patriots go back to being extremely handsy this week, and we saw it last week. They got away with it. Um, I was kind of surprised. My wife and I were watching the game, and and she she asked me, like, what the hell? Why are these not getting called? Uh, They were getting rough with receivers past the five-yard mark and getting away with it. And you know what they will do. They've done this in the past. Um, they're going to push the boundary as far as they can, especially against a team like the Chiefs. So that'll be something to watch for. The officiating might have a bigger hand to play in this game than we would like, except that it might be at the at the expense of Rams or excuse me, Chiefs fans who actually want the officials to be a little bit more active. Regardless, uh, Michael Lombardi is going to tell us a whole bunch of good stuff about that game and the other matchup. Here's Michael Lombardi. Oh, and I'm going to just go ahead and start playing at a weird spot uh, in the radio show where this will not make any sense without the context, but it didn't really make any sense with context either. So just enjoy how awkward we begin this interview. Um, I can tell you in a blind taste test, 
that's not going to sound good at all uh, <laughs> as I introduce Michael Lombardi. Um, Michael Lombardi, who writes for The Athletic, he uh, has a podcast on The Ringer, and he's also the author of Gridiron Genius, longtime NFL personnel man. Michael, how are you doing as the NFL season wanes down? Depressed, you know, it's always hard. This is a good weekend, but a bad weekend. I mean, there's no more one o'clock games in our future, which is somewhat depressing, but we'll get through it. We'll battle back. <laughs> well, and for the vast majority of teams in the league, they're starting their battle on towards free agency in the draft. Um, I'm, I'm curious about this. To most teams, as they head into their offseason and they start thinking about free agency, which comes before the draft, are they are they looking at the strength of the draft and really tying that into who they target in free agency? Um, or do they try to work in the other way where you see which free agency you have to fill needs and then build your draft strategy off of that? Uh, you know, I think so. oftentimes the guys that are running the draft don't really have a full handle on the entire draft. I mean, most of the times teams are meeting in December to go over it. But the draft, why do you ever wonder why mock drafts look way different in January, and then in April they look like completely upside down, right? Yep. Well, the reason is is because oftentimes the scouts, the area guys are doing the mock drafts in January. And then when the people that really understand the NFL and understand what each team needs and how the draft works, they kind of get involved in the draft in the spring, and then that's what sends things upside down. And then we have to listen to this guy's moving way up the draft board. Oh, my God, he's moved. Well, he was probably never put in the right spot to begin with. You know, he's not moving up. He was misevaluated. And so a lot of times, and I say that because scouts watch players. They don't understand the whole scheme of the defense, the offense, and the plays that the coaches are running. So there's a disconnect. And you have to be able to balance both. And how you manage your team in free agency and the draft is all predicated based on value, right? So it really has nothing to do with the draft. If you can get a good player in value and free agency, you need to take them. If you can get a good player in the draft in the right round, you take them. Do you guys pay in the front office a whole lot of attention to all the things that come out of the media leading up to the draft? Does that give you a gauge for where players actually stand in terms of their value, or do you guys completely put your heads in the sand when it comes to things like that? Oh, no. We're in the information business. You better collect the data. So what you try to do is go through every single of these mock drafts and you try to correlate you you write an algorithm where you can kind of have an accurate portrayal of the top 100 players let's say so you know who the top 100 players are based on perception now some years you're always worried mitch morse for the center for the chiefs he was never in the top 100 you know and and it was one of those situations where if he would have been there in the second round we would have picked him but it was anticipated he would have been, but there's sometimes where guys don't give out names. You know, the one thing when you do mock drafts, you give the same names out all the time because it's easy. Reporter calls you on the phone is who do you like for the Texans? Oh, I think you give them X, and that's the same guy everybody else has given. So the name just keeps getting repeated. It's really a game. You've got to break it down and analyze it, but it is also the information, so you take it and utilize it. It's a little bit like baking a cake. Not all the ingredients are the same. You just got to know which ones go and where. Is that something that happens over time too? Like if a guy spends a long time as a GM at one place or maybe in a couple places, let's say like a, like a, a Bill Polian who was in the league forever. At a certain point, does it become a lot about, okay, this guy has people that he knows he can trust when it comes to information and tips and whatnot. Yeah. And I think, you know, who Bill Polian is. I mean, if Bill Polian got back in, I could tell you who he's going to draft and why he's going to draft him and how he's going to build the team. I mean, that's not a knock on Bill Polian. That just means he has tendencies and he has beliefs. That's really important. 
you know, oftentimes now we don't see that. And when scouts are running the draft, they're picking players. Remember, Belichick's classic line is, we're not collecting talent, we're building a team. And there's a complete difference in why you see so much dysfunction in terms of the way this – that's why we've had 15 teams have have new head coaches in the last two years, really 14, because there's been so much dysfunction between scouting and, and coaching. And a lot of times it's often – the personnel people don't truly understand what's going on on the field. There's got to be a marriage, just like there is in the Houston right now, between Brian Gain and Bill O'Brien. I mean, whether you like either guy or not, they're joined at the hip, and they're going to work together to get the best combination of players they can. <clears throat> Michael, what can NFL teams, the other 28, learn the most from the four teams that are left this weekend? Well, you, you better make sure that you you're about, that you can you can score points and you can win on the road. I mean, I think even though the, the Patriots are three and five on the road. You know, that one game that cost them, this game would be played in Foxborough if it wasn't for that miracle in Miami. So I think it's you've got to be able to play from in front. I think that's the key. Look, the number one stat in football, and I've said this on the show many times, is first-half point differential. That's the key to football. I think we saw it last weekend, the teams that got in front early. The only team that was behind at halftime were the Saints, and they rallied back from a 14-10 to 10 deficit. But playing fast, winning the first half point differential is critical. Kansas City's the second best team in the NFL. The Patriots are fourth, and the Chief, and the Saints are fifth. So, and the Rams are, are, I think, they're third as well. So, I think that's the one thing you have to do. You've got to be able to score. You can't win with your defense. You got to win with your ability to score early and often. With the way that the Patriots played this past week, it was unlike anything we've seen from them all season long. Should we expect a similar kind of performance in terms of execution and just overall feel, look, this game against Kansas City? I don't think so. Look, I mean, for whatever reason, look, and this is the way this is the way the Seattle schemes have always been. Gus Bradley in Jacksonville, and you know, they this is their the mantra: we do what we do, and we're going to keep doing what we do. Well, that really works sometimes, but it doesn't work against a really good chess master like Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels. You better do something different, and they never did. I mean, they truly never did in that game. And, you know, you could easily see that was going to happen in the game. And, and, I, and I kept telling everybody on betting across America on decent over the weekend, like, if you're going to put your money, hard-earned dollars on the Chargers, I think you're making a huge mistake. Because from a technical standpoint, from a chess match standpoint, you're at a disadvantage. And then the fact that the Patriots play really well at home, that's another advantage. Now, this time, I mean, Andy Reid can play chess with Belichick. They're going to create some matchups. It's going to be a game of adjustments. And both staffs do a good job of adjusting. So I think it's going to come down to home field, crowd noise, and the better team. And I just think Kansas City, when you go back and watch that first game, Kansas City didn't play their A game. New England didn't play their A game either. But the reality was Kansas City, Mahomes left some plays on the field that he can't leave this time. That's what I wonder about with New England, too, where they've shown a willingness to be a little bit more exotic defensively than you typically expect out of New England defenses. But you give something up in that, especially on some of the quick hitting stuff when you show a bunch of guys at the line of scrimmage. Do you think they... They still have speed issues, do they not, on that on that Patriots defense to where I, I don't know if they're going to be able to completely disguise their way out of some of those issues. I agree. I mean, look, they, they you know, when what Kansas City is able to do, it's just no different than what, she, what Philadelphia did in the Super Bowl. Make New England defend the width of the field and then attack the length of the field. And because they lack speed at linebacker, because they really don't have a matchup. I mean, Kareem Hunt early in the game has got Hightower beat by five yards for a touchdown. Mahomes overthrows it. Now, remember, Kareem Hunt had, I think he had 105 yards receiving in this game. So somebody's got to pick that up. He also had 80 yards rushing. 
Someone's got to pick up that. But the matchup of the back against the New England linebackers, if New England wants to play a man game, is really problematic for them. Is the weather a big factor in your mind in Arrowhead on Sunday or not, Michael? I think it's the wind. I mean, you know, now they're talking about 20-mile-an-hour wind. I think wind will be a factor with field goals, four downs. I mean, I think that will be a factor. Colt's not going to be a factor. The, I mean, the, the Patriots love it. I mean, they're no different than the Russian and the Sopranos. Once they got in the cold, they felt at home. I mean, they love it, right? You know, and so I, I think there's no doubt they'll be comfortable. And I think Kansas City. I thought Travis Kelsey caught the ball in cold weather better than anybody I've ever seen. You know, he understands how to catch a ball. It's hard to do that. That's not easy. We sit in our home in front of a fireplace in the living room and watch the game, and that ball's coming at you. It's like a cement cinder block. I mean, it's just fire, and, and it's hard to catch. And I think that the Chiefs did a great job of it last week. They'll do it this week. I think wins going to be the bigger play here. I still don't. Do we uh... – I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this question. We've got a new boss that's not gonna like this at all, but I have to go off on the Sopranos tangent now. What the hell happened to that Russian guy, Michael Lombardi? The guy escaped at the end know. of the episode. You know, never, a... like, I'm I'm waiting for him to show up in the very last episode of the Sopranos. Me too. I, I so disappointing. <laughs> you, you know, one of the, I could watch Pine Barrens ever in fact I might go upstairs and watch it now. I mean, it's so good, you know. <laughs> but I don't know. But he loved it. Like he said in that episode, I bathe in this weather. I mean, the Patriots bathe in that kind of weather. Belichick is classic. You just tell him, look, get your stuff on, and he doesn't say stuff, and just get outside. You know, and they and that's why they're so tough. This is not going to bother them at all. That let me ask you this, because now the Patriots you see are grasping onto this underdog strategy. Tom Brady's talking a little bit of like smack as far as Tom Brady would ever talk smack. Um we see Julian Edelman telling people to bet against them. Are they what is it about Bill Belichick that's so He's so able to convince those guys that the world is against them and that nobody believes in them year after year. Like, how does he do that? Well, because everybody's been predicting the demise of the Roman Empire. At some point, somebody's going to have to be right, correct? You know. And I think the fact is, is look, go back to the Miami game, the chance that they, if they win that Miami game, which they should have, uh, you know, Miami moved the ball on them. And Miami's offense is very similar to Kansas City's. I mean, Kansas City – is the gold standard for the uh, that style of offense. Miami tried to steal it, and it gave New England a lot of problems. And so Belichick just uses this. It's just a way to focus the team. It's a mechanism to trigger where typically when you win this much, you're always a little overconfident. And one thing about New England, comfort and confidence never comes into play. They're confident, but they never get content. And so since they don't have contentment, he's able to keep driving them. Did you see enough with the Rams' performance against the Cowboys on Saturday, Michael, to make you feel confident about them in the Superdome? I have, I have a hard time really gauging that game right now. I think these, this, these two home fields are uniquely different than any home fields. First of all, the crowd noise is impeccable. It's so hard. I mean, think about this, Seth. You played in the league. The reason you defer, and nobody mentioned this, the reason you defer is because you don't want to deal with the crowd at the highest point of the game. Right. Yeah. The start of the game, everybody's sitting in their seats. They're cheering. They're ready to go. You defer because at halftime, everybody's in the bathroom or getting a hot dog. But yet at the Superdome this past week, the Eagles had to call a timeout to avoid a delay of the game penalty because they couldn't hear. Those people are loud. It's really loud. It's hard. And I, you can't get it from watching tape. The sense of urgency that you feel when you play in that environment is very difficult. I think it'll impact golf. And it's the same thing in Kansas City. You feel a sense of urgency. It's so loud. And it becomes problematic. And 
what happened to the the Colts, they had all those penalties. There's a reason for it because the crowd is into the game and you can't control the snap count. The Patriots controlled the snap count the last time they played. Now the Chiefs get a chance to control it. You know, and I, I'm glad you put it in those terms too because it's more than just the noise. It is the like the overall total environment of it. Yes, it's hard to get the snap count off, but you're right, especially with younger quarterbacks. It's almost like like live fire drills in the military where it just adds a whole new element of stress to it that makes the entire operation dicier. That's a it's a really good point. And I, the thing about the Superdome is that those people are professional drinkers. They can keep it up in the third yes, and fourth yes. quarter in a way that few other places can because they've been drinking since they were uh before they should have been drinking. Yes. Uh, I mean, I am I am buying stock in Jack Daniels just alone because I feel Jack will be everybody's best friend in Kansas City and probably in New Orleans. Uh, Michael Lombardi of The Athletic. You can check out his podcast on The Ringer and also please buy his book. It's a very good book, Gridiron Genius. Especially if you're a coach or thinking about becoming a coach, it's basically a blueprint for how to do it like the great ones have done it. Thanks a lot, Michael. Thanks, guys. And there you have it. I can speak loudly now. And by loudly, you know, those of you who know me know that means my normal speaking voice. It was very, very difficult for me to keep my voice quiet while my daughter was asleep there, but I just wanted to demonstrate that I can do it. She did still wake up uh, almost immediately after I recorded that. But thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Radio.com, wherever it might be. I do have the Gary Myers interview uh, with the – he's the author that wrote about the Cowboys, um, and it's a very good book. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed it, and I grudgingly like – certain aspects of the Cowboys franchise. I'm going to leave it at that. That's as far as I can go. Uh, it's just, it's so entertaining. It's just, it's, it's such a past. And Jerry Jones, whether you love him or hate him, is just an interesting individual. And obviously Jimmy Johnson too. So that book, uh, How About Them Cowboys, is, uh, it's a good one. It's a good read, especially if you're a Cowboys fan. So next week we will put that Gary Myers interview up um, and then do our normal thing on Thursday. Thanks everybody for listening. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 